The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. I can remember every detail about Beijing. The smell, the lights, the crowd. I remember Nasty Lucan go up and compete and give a beautiful routine. And I remember looking at her score and it was a, it was one point higher than the highest score I had conjured up in my mind that it was impossible for me to get a gold medal. I remember my heart just sinking. The entire world is being told. Do I even go out and compete? Do I just throw it? I remember thinking, well, if, if you can't win the gold medal, at least prove to the world that you deserved it. And starting my routine and giving the best routine of my entire life. I'd never felt lighter in my life. I felt like I was on top of the world. I remember seeing 50,000 people on their feet giving me a standing ovation. I told everybody it was the biggest honor of my life, but really kind of crushed my heart. I remember being given the silver medal on the podium the person who did it gave me a hug and told me, he said, I'm sorry. And I remember that being really strange for me because it's kind of like I was being given a silver medal at the Olympic Games and being told I'm sorry. So it was kind of like a validation in my heart that I had failed. I got two more silver after that, then finally got a gold. But it was like, once I got the gold, I, it didn't matter, but like, I felt like the damage was done. I would go to school every day and every single person would be asking about gymnastics or watching me on TV or reading an interview. I, every news article in the entire world said that I was gonna come home with four Olympic gold medals and I'd given 200% that day in competition and laid it out on the floor, but I felt like I had failed the world. I felt like since the world saw me as nothing else, then if I failed at being a gymnast, I failed at being a human being. When have you failed and it turned you into a failure? You blew it, you didn't measure up, you didn't follow through on your word, you didn't keep your promise, you couldn't accomplish what you intended and you came up short, but in coming up short, it defined you in that moment. Some failures leave you feeling like a failure. They define you the rest of your life. But then there are some that are even worse. There are some that turn into regret, where from that point on, you carry shame, pain, hurt. You, you carry a deep sense of regret. You look back on those moments that define you, and it leaves you feeling labeled. I have become what I've done, I am my shortcoming, I am my failure, worse, I'm, I am my regret. It begins to define you, it becomes like a weight that you carry around, maybe a burden that you and I carry. The reality is, this isn't something you avoid. Every one of us, if I were to take a survey of anyone who's gonna hear this message and say, hey, would you just kinda say, yeah, that's me, every one of us would raise our hand and say, yep, I've had moments where I failed that left me feeling like a failure. There are moments that I regret that have defined me. 
And so I want to bring you back to an ancient story of two guys that were very close friends of Jesus. And we're going to look at a couple different accounts in the Bible. But really, to look at this, let me just kind of paint the context. You got a group of friends, close followers of Jesus. These guys have spent about three years in deep personal relationship with Jesus, where he has become their friend, their teacher, and Toward the late years of following Jesus, they now begin to understand that he is their God and their Savior. And two of these close friends, close followers of Jesus, have an experience where they deeply fail. It's going to become an experience in their life that they deeply regret this account is recorded in, in several books of the Bible. Uh, they're called the Gospels, or the account of the life and teachings of Jesus, which shares the good news of God's love. One of those accounts is in the Gospel, or the eyewitness account of Jesus' life, according to Matthew, where I'm going to bring, introduce you to, to these two guys. Uh, the first one is, I'm going to introduce you to is a guy named Judas. Uh, and then the second one is going to be Simon Peter. Judas is this guy who is, again, he's one of the, one of the followers. And the, Judas' failure is that he gets bribed by the religious and political leaders to um, turn his back. He's a turncoat who betrays Jesus. He, he leads the uh, political officials to Jesus and turns Jesus over to them. So let's start by looking at Judas. Because in this story, you're going to discover that you and I are probably going to end up being one of these two guys. We're going to, we're going to conduct ourselves like Judas or like Simon Peter. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. When Judas had betrayed him, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, condemned to die. He was seized with remorse and returned the money, the, the money that the political leaders had paid him to betray Jesus. He returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas took personal responsibility for his shame, for his failure, for his shortcomings. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. And uh, while it doesn't always lead to someone taking their life, it very often creates emotional suicide. It, it creates the suicide of our thinking. It, it, it's a suicide of dreams. It's a suicide of relationships. Why do I say that? Because the way Judas responded to his failure and to his guilt is that he, he reacted with godless regret, godless remorse. He, he knew that he had done wrong. He identified his wrong as sin. He took full responsibility for the wrongdoing he had done. And then in taking full responsibility, he believed it was his problem to pay for it. The only way out of this problem, the only way out of what I've done is that I need to give my life. I deserve to die for what I've done. And so in godless remorse, he takes his own life. 
Some of us, we go through our entire life responding like Judas in godless regret. I have done wrong. I have become wrong. I have failed. I have become a failure. I have done bad and I have become bad and I need to pay for it. I deserve what's coming to me. And so we spend our entire life believing that we need to pay for with our life, our wrongdoing. And as a result, we sabotage the best in our future. We sabotage relationships, our marriage, our relationship with our kids or our parents. We sabotage careers. We sabotage our emotional and mental well-being. We destroy the future that was designed for us. And we, we take our lives, living them in shame and regret. And then there's another guy. And I want to introduce you to him. His name is Simon Peter. Uh, he has two names because his name was Simon, but Jesus gives him a nickname, Peter, which uh, translates kind of like Rocky, all right? And we've kind of laughed about that, saying how cool is it when Jesus nicknames you Rocky? You, you got to love that and appreciate that. Well, we're going to go meet uh, Simon Peter, who uh, in this moment, Peter is kind of like, Jesus is telling him that something bad is going to happen. And in, in another eyewitness account of a guy named Luke who records this same situation, records this moment. But he replied, this is Simon Peter replying to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you even know me. Peter's over here making promises of piety that he can't keep. He's writing checks with his mouth that his emotional and mental stability won't be able to cash. And, and you know, in, in situations where you feel in trouble, when you feel like a failure, when you feel full of regret, when, when, G, when, you, when Jesus is telling you, look, at some point in your life, you're going to blow it, very often the way we respond is that we turn to religion. Religion is our attempt to pay for or, or earn our way out of failure and regret. And so what Peter does is he says, look, Jesus, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to be loyal. I'm willing to die for you, right? He's making promises of piety that he can't keep. And very often that's what religion tries to get us to do when we feel like a failure and are carrying regret and shame. Pray enough. Go to church enough. Do the right thing enough. And if you do enough good, it will make up for the bad. If you do the right things, it will impress God enough that you'll begin to feel better. But the reality is religion is a trap. It's a trick because no matter how hard we try, we're always going to come up short. We're going to fail. And that's exactly what Peter does. So we're going to jump back to Matthew. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 26 where you see Peter's failure Matthew 26, verse 73. After a little while, so here's the situation. Jesus has been arrested. Judas betrayed Jesus. He was arrested and he was taken into the court where he's now beginning to be tried. Peter follows Jesus from a distance. He's standing outside and people begin to question Peter. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. 
Then he began to call down curses on himself because he wants to make sure that he makes the point that he's not a follower of Jesus. Certainly a follower of Jesus would not be cursing like a sailor. And uh, so he starts calling down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken when he said, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly, right? You have these two situations very similar. Judas becomes remorseful. He recognizes that it's his problem and it's his responsibility. He goes out weeping bitterly in regret. Then there's Peter. He, Jesus tells him he's going to deny him three times. After he denies him that third time while calling curses down on himself, he hears the rooster crow, and, and it breaks his heart. He begins to weep bitterly. He realizes that he's blown it. He's failed, and he has failed an epic failure, and he begins to weep bitterly. This moment is his defining moment. But what's interesting is that while Judas takes a course of regret that drives him to destruction, Peter makes a comeback from his failure. How? How can you and I, when our failures begin to define us and our regrets begin to label us, how can we make a comeback? And so here's what I want to encourage you to write down as you're taking notes today. Would you write this down? In your program, there's a place to take notes. In your study guide, there's a place to take notes. Feel free to use your smartphone or your tablet if you're online with us. Feel free to use, um, you know, that note section in the online campus. Either way, I want to encourage you to write this down because what I, what I want you to do is this. There's going to be a moment when you and I are going to blow it, and you're going to need a reference point. And so I want you to put this somewhere where you can quickly find it, all right? How are you going to make a comeback from that failure? Here it is. Uh, it's going to be the big, big statement, and then we're going to figure out how to live this out, all right? The big statement is we got to get past our past. Your challenge, your, the way you're going to make a comeback from failure is that you're going to get past your past. Now, everybody hearing that goes, yeah, that sounds good. Excellent. Let's do it. How? And then the problem is, right, immediately, as soon as I said it, you all had the obvious response. Like, thank you, Patrick. That's really nice. That's like saying, go, you know, go pick up the car that's parked out in the parking lot. It sounds like a fun, I, well, I don't know if that doesn't even sound fun. I, sometimes I pull out these metaphors off the top of my head, and I, I don't even know what I mean by them. The point is, you see, you know, like, you, you might see somebody bodybuilding, and they're lifting like a mountain of weight, and then you're like, hey, go pick up that mountain of weight, and you're like, sounds like a good idea, but it's impossible. I'm never going to lift that burden, right? This sounds like the impossible burden. And the challenge is it's true. Your past is an impossible burden to lift and get past. Why? Because you and I, at some point in our life, will find ourselves like Peter and Judas in a situation of complete regret, Failure begins to define us as a failure. When you look at this story, you are going to come to a crossroads in your life, and you're going to make a turn. You're either going to turn like Judas toward complete godless despair, or you're going to discover from the principles of the life of Peter how you can make a comeback from failure that does not lead to destruction and ruin. Here's the truth. No matter what, you and I 
we'll become Peter or Judas because just like those two guys, we have within us the drive to turn our back on God. Every one of us, anybody who's going to at any point hear this message, you have turned your back on God. God was inviting you into relationship with him. God wants to be your friend, Jesus being a friend to Peter and Judas, loving them and serving them. He washed their feet only a few days, a few moments before this moment, right? Jesus has served them. He has taught them how to live the right way. And both of them betray Jesus and turn their back on Jesus. You and I, because of this drive in our life called sin, will turn our back on God. Sin has caused us to already turn our back on God. Sin, which is the driving force inside of our life, compels us away from God and toward ourselves. We do the wrong thing. That leads to failure, regret, and shame. That's called sin. Sin wrecks our lives. It ruins relationships. It ruins first our relationship with God. But then it has a ripple effect where it begins to ruin relationships with our family members, those that we care about, those we love. It ruins friendships. It destroys careers. It destroys futures. It leaves us living a life of regret, failure, shame, and guilt. But God, revealed through Jesus Christ, came to rescue people from their regrets, from a life defined by failure. Jesus Christ stepped into time and space to become one of us, to take the punishment for our sin on himself, right? Because you look at Judas, realize he deserved to die for what he had done wrong, so he took his own life. Peter equally knew that he deserved to die. He had a debt of eternal judgment on himself because of his betrayal against God. But what Jesus did was Jesus came to earth to die in our place. He took the death that we deserve on himself so that when he died, he died the eternal death sentence that was on every one of us because of our sin. Sin that defines us as failures motivated by shame and guilt that wrecks our future, it wrecks relationships. When Jesus died, he died once for all in our place so that when we believe in Jesus Christ by faith, we can make a comeback from failure, from regret, from shame. We can, we can come out of being defined by our past to have a future through faith in Jesus Christ. What, what does that look like? Why don't you check out a little bit more of Sean Johnson's story? I remember walking into practice one day, uh, getting up on the beam and like standing at the edge of the beam, looking down, getting ready to start flipping. And it's one of those moments that's really hard to explain and really hard for, I, I feel like a lot of people to understand. But in that one moment, I felt like God was telling me, you know, you've, you've been so distraught over this decision. and been putting yourself through all of this and your family through all of this and you've been afraid of disappointing a lot of people and you know not been yourself but it's okay to to follow your heart and to to put it behind you in that instant i felt the entire world was like be lifted off my shoulders and it was like in that one instant i knew it was all going to be okay 
I was I was giving my heart and soul and getting to a place that I was not proud of, all for that gold medal again that I distinctly remember in 2008 not being the greatest thing in the world. And I think it's just kind of that validation that there's always more. God is the answer to everything. And Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross so that when I stood up there and I was given that gold medal, yes, it's a monumental and amazing experience and wonderful thing, but it's not the end all be all. Yes, I can work my whole life to become the CEO of a company or to make a certain amount of money or to win 12 more Olympic gold medals, but it's not the purpose in life. And he will always be my greatest reward and my proudest reward. That's good. I, I hope that when you hear what we heard Sean Johnson's story, there's some principles that begin to jump out of it that you can apply to your life that we're gonna draw from the life of Peter on how we can get past our past through faith in Jesus Christ. The reality is that like Judas, many people will spend their life trying to give their life to earn their way out of their own shame, their guilt, their failure. But listen to how God responds. So there's this moment, Jesus has died. He was crucified, buried in a tomb. Peter is wallowing in self-pity and regret, defined by his past, defined by his failures, carrying his shame with him. God commissions an angel to go to the tomb to talk to the women that show up there. And, and there's this really cool moment. It's found in another one of the gospels. So I'm hitting a couple of these different gospel accounts for you, all right? This one is from the eyewitness account of a guy named Mark. So we looked at the eyewitness account through, through Matthew's lens, through Luke's lens, now through this guy named Mark, who he's, you know, he's hearing about these moments. Mark chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. This angel shows up and it's speaking to these women and he goes like this. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not dead. He is alive. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Then, goes, then the angel goes like this. But go, tell his disciples, tell his friends. Oh, and Peter. Uh, you're all going to help me out here, right? So I very rarely do this, but this is when it was like, you, you could read right over it and totally miss the moment. So you're all going to do this when you say, and Peter. And Peter, right? So the angel goes like this. Hey, go tell all of Jesus' friends and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he said you would. I want you to go, I want you to go to Galilee, and there Jesus is going to meet you. Who is Jesus going to meet? All of his disciples and Peter. Y'all with me, right? And Peter. This is a really, really important moment because Judas is already gone. And he says, I get it. There's people who are wallowing in self-pity. They've defined themselves by their failures. They're carrying shame and guilt. Sin has devastated their heart and life. Sin has ruined your heart, my heart. 
sin has devastated and ruined the hearts of every person ever born into our world. There are, there are millions, billions of people walking through this earth like Judas in, in godless regret, but they could become a Peter because right now, the voice of the Holy Spirit is speaking the same thing. Go, invite my friends and followers and Peter to come meet me. Some of you, that's where you are right now. You've been invited to come and meet God. So how do you get past your past? Here's the first thing I'm going to challenge you to do. In order to get past your past, in order for us to get past our past, we must be forgiven. How do you receive this forgiveness? Here's how it works. Jesus sent an angel to invite his friends and followers to come and restore relationship with him and receive forgiveness. Peter is specifically invited to come and meet Jesus with the express purpose of when he shows up that Jesus would forgive him of his sin. And when Peter comes, he doesn't come trying to earn it. He doesn't come destroying his life like Judas. He comes undeserving in his shame, in his guilt, in his failure. But he comes to Jesus because Jesus invited him. And Jesus invites us to come back to him even though we've failed, even though we have sinned, regardless of where you're at right now. I can assure you of this. Your biggest sin is not too big for God to forgive. He invites you back to him. And here's what God wants to do. Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. He took the payment for our sin on himself. He died once for all. So that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith is forgiven of their sins and given new life. New life. That's right. Peter comes to Jesus. Peter is forgiven by Jesus. When he receives that forgiveness, forgiveness transforms his life. When you come back to Jesus because you respond to the invitation of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the, Spirit, the invisible Spirit of God prompting your heart, pushing your heart. And I want to make this really, really clear. Don't miss this, right? Because some of you, you think this is like a one-time event. It's a little bit like getting married or a little bit like, like having a baby or something else you do. I don't know. Like it's this one-time moment, right? It happens and then you never do it again, right? Like you, you make a wedding vow and then that's it. Like till death parts us, hopefully. That, that's how it's supposed to be, right? And, and for, for many people, they believe forgiveness is like this one-time moment. I come to God, I ask for forgiveness, and then it's done. No, no, no. <laughs> so as a result, then after you are forgiven, after you come to Jesus, you, then every time you mess up, you feel guilty about it. You're like, oh man, he already forgave me, but now I'm, but look at what I did wrong again. And then we, we avoid God when we should be drawing close to God, we draw away from God. So I want to make sure, to, I want to challenge you that every time you fail, I mean epic, I mean sin, you pursue the desires of your life that draws you away from God. Here's how I want you to respond. Here's what I want you to know. Your sin reaffirms your need for Jesus. It actually shows off the grace 
of God. Grace is the generous riches of God given to you. Forgiveness falls under the category of the riches of God through his generosity called grace, all right? So every time you mess up and you want to withdraw from God, but then you feel the tugging of that invitation of the Holy Spirit back in a relationship with God, meaning the restored relationship in the love of God. You are reaffirming your need for Jesus. You're reminding yourself that this is why Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins. I need him every day. I need his forgiveness regularly. I need to be reminded of my need for the cross of Jesus Christ on a regular basis. So when I want to withdraw, I need to pull close. I need to draw closer to God and remind myself this is the whole point of why Jesus died. If, if you could do it on your own, you would, Jesus would never have had to die. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it's a letter written by one of the followers and friends of Jesus. He wrote a letter to the churches that he loved, and he said that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all of our unrighteousness. Every time when my instinct wants to pull away because I feel, failed, I feel like a failure, I feel full of regret and shame, I need to, when I want to draw away, I have to draw close. And in that moment, it's, it's like the washing of God's Holy Spirit is cleansing my heart again, renewing me again, reminding me of his love again. I, I'm like Peter. It's that moment when he says, and Peter, yep, and you, and you, and me, we get, we get invited back into relationship with Jesus Christ where we are reaffirmed in our faith, and when, when you come back to that moment and the Holy Spirit of the living God is living in your invisible spirit, and there's this sense of forgiveness, there's this awareness of the generosity and the love of God, it transforms everything. Here's the deal, when you are trying to impress God, you insult the grace of God. You don't have to impress God. You just have to receive his love through forgiveness and new relationship with him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it's another letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, where in that letter he writes this, For it is by grace, the riches of God, that you have been saved. That's where you've been rescued. Through faith, this is not something you've done on your own. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So this, this letter, the Apostle Paul is writing, he says, look, there's nothing you can do to earn this. You can't try really hard to deserve it. You just simply receive his goodness, his riches, his forgiveness through faith in him, just by believing in Jesus. And if, and if this is your first time, you're at a place where, like Judas, you've lived your life in godless regret, then rather than dis continuing to destroy your life, then you come to, you respond to that invitation by faith and receive forgiveness. Others, you've believed in Jesus, but you've drawn away from him because you thought you had to do it on your own. Draw close to him and once again, Reaffirm his love and his grace by being forgiven once again. Enjoy and receive the forgiveness and the love of God. And now I want to I want to make sure you don't miss what happens next. So we're going to continue with the story here. And there's kind of there's a couple more principles that I want you to hear. It's found in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 32. Uh, Jesus 
goes like this. This is the moment where Jesus is warning Simon Peter that he's going to blow it. You are going to fail. You are going to regret what happens next. So he sets him up. He says, okay, you're going to do this. And then this is the moment when Simon Peter's like, never. I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to be super religious. I'm going to get it right. And Jesus is like, nope. That's why I'm going to go to the cross and die for you. Because you are going to blow it. This is what Jesus says, though, when he sets him up. Simon. Simon. Notice he calls him by his old name. He goes, there's going to be moments in your life when you go back to living the way you used to live. There's going to be moments when you stumble back into your Simon lifestyle. Even though I call you Peter, Rocky, you're going to stop acting like Rocky and you're going to start acting like Simon. Simon. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Now, what he means there is, uh, it's an ancient picture of when they would sift the wheat and they would throw away the chaff and keep the wheat grains, right? And what he's saying here is, Satan wants to throw away your faith like chaff to destroy you, to ruin you. And listen to this, it's like the tenderness of Jesus. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Two, two things that he says there, that your faith may not fail. To get past your past, you have to live for the future. Jesus, when he died on a cross and he rose again, the power of his crucifixion and his resurrection was that he drew a line in the sand of every one of our lives. We spend our lives on this side, defined by our past, labeled by our failures, regrets, and shame. When Jesus died and rose again, he drew this line of sand, and he invites us to step from our past into our present where we have a future. And he says, inviting us to get past our past, and this is what he says to, to Simon Peter. He goes like this, Simon, I've prayed for you. I, I put myself between you and destruction. And I, I've interceded for you. I've gone to the Father where I have said, I have prayed on your behalf so that your faith may not fail. You'll fail. You're going to mess up. But I have prayed that your faith would not fail. It is possible for you and I to blow it. It's possible for us to make some big mistakes, to sin and yet, not to lose faith. To every time we fail, every time we blow it, when we sin, we come back to God. God, forgive me. And, th and this is what Jesus says. He, he says, I've, I'm inviting you, Peter. I, I've prayed for you so that when you fail, your faith doesn't fail with it. Because you have a future. I want to challenge you to get past your past by living for the future not defining yourself by your past. See, there is an enemy in your life. There is a dark, evil force called Satan that is intelligent, that is out to destroy you, and he wants to define you by what you've done. I've done bad, so I am bad. I have been divorced, so I am a divorcee. I have, I have lied, so I am a liar. And so he wants us to carry the shame, the guilt, the, the, the garbage of our past into our present. And there's this really cool quote I appreciate. It says, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. 
You do not have to be defined by what you've done or where you've been. Your past doesn't have to define your present. When you come to Jesus by faith, you have a new future because he draws a line in the sand. He invites you to step over that line and become something new. Begin to live your life so that you're following Jesus Christ and your faith has not failed. Through faith, you have new life. Through faith, you have a future. Your past has not destroyed your future. You have a God who is greater than your failures. You have a God that is greater than your shame, your guilt, your shortcomings, your your mistakes. You are not what you've done and where you've been. You are defined by what Jesus says you are. You are defined by what God has given you in your future. And he calls you a child of God. He calls you a friend. He loves you and is for you. And then there's one more piece of this. When Jesus is talking to Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And after you return to me, strengthen your brothers. To, To get past your past, you have to share what you receive. You have to be willing to share what you've been given. When you are forgiven, you're given something spectacular. You're given new life. You're given meaning. You're given purpose. You're given significance. And you have a responsibility not to hoard the grace of God, not to hoard the forgiveness of God, not to hoard what God has poured into your life because he has made you a new person, because he has given you forgiveness, he has given you new life, because his spirit is alive in your spirit. Now you have a responsibility, just like Peter Peter would have been the most unlikely person for Jesus to say, hey, I want you to actually go and encourage others. But Jesus takes the weakness in Peter and says, use that to become strength to your friends. Interestingly, your tragedies can become a triumph as you share your testimony of what God has done through your life. Your mess can become your ministry opportunity. It can become your message. When you receive strength from God and you're forgiven and you're given a future, now you begin to be, you have a message, you have a story to share, a comeback story where you can begin to give that to others and they are encouraged, they are strengthened, they find hope in your new life through Jesus Christ. So you have to share what you've been given. Don't hoard it. Be willing to talk about the weaknesses, the shortcomings, the failures in your life because those moments are the very moments where you most show off God's grace, God's riches, God's love. Now, there's some, you've been living your life like Judas. You haven't taken your life, but your failures, your regrets have taken life from you. It's destroyed significant parts of your life and it's time for you to, Know and hear that God's spirit is saying, just like he said, and Peter, he's calling you. And are you willing to respond to that invitation to receive his forgiveness and new relationship with him? If that's where you're at, I'd encourage you to respond by simply receiving forgiveness of your sins and new life through faith in Jesus Christ. Others of you, you've been wallowing in self-pity, thinking that somehow you had to go back and earn your way back to God. Stop it. Just draw close to Jesus again. And once again, receive forgiveness. Others of you, you're hoarding what you have. 
Time for you to become generous, begin to live your future, begin to live the destiny of God, and begin to share your new life with other people. So what one commitment can you make today? Would you take a moment right now, would you just pause and allow God's spirit to speak to your spirit and, and, and reveal to you that one step you can make as you begin to push past failure and regret and become the new person God has called you to become? Would you take a moment, would you pray right now? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.